Rock the Bottom Podcast with Andrea and Martin begins now. You know, whatever you call it, follow that. Because if something doesn't feel right and you're in a cognitive dissident state, something is not right. Welcome back to another episode of Rock the Bottom podcast. We had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Marnie Hill Fodorero, who was recently inducted into the best-selling authors international organization for her beautiful beautiful book god came to my garage sale the book was inspired by hundreds of true accounts and today we get to sit down and hear from marnie the experiences that brought her to the writing of this book and many others so without further ado Here's our conversation with Dr. Marnie Hill Fodorero. We are delighted to have you join us, Marnie. As a rock bottom podcast, our aim is always to bring the humanity back into the rock bottom experience so that we can connect as a community to our listeners and to those that have shared their stories in the past and, and those that will continue to share their stories on this podcast. That's its intention. Uh, so we're so happy to have you join us and share yours. Yours is yet again, another very unique story. You're an extremely accomplished woman, You've written a book, you've done more schooling, I think, than probably Martin and I put together. Uh, <laughs> and you've had a very, it sounds like a very successful career, a family, you've kind of done all of the things. But life unfolded in an interesting way for you. And your rock bottom, from our perspective, anyway, feels like it was, uh, it was like a slow simmer. It was like, it was, it was there, it was building, it was building, it was building until there, there it kind of was. So I would love for you to take our listeners back to the space leading up to rock bottom for you and what you identified your rock bottom to be. Yeah, sure. And thank you both for having me on your podcast. It's amazing what you are doing and, and having these great and candid conversations are, are very much needed. But yeah, in, in my case, I was just living the American dream, you know, like so many other people. I was raising two kids. I was working in a career as a special education teacher for 35 years, which I loved. And, you know, 12 of those years, I was university graduate school adjunct professor. I was really, you know, I, I just felt like I, um, Everything was going along fine. Um, but yeah, the slow simmer part was happening in the background, and I was ignoring the red flags that were glaring in my, you know, face that I needed to really, you know, reevaluate my my marriage, my my situation. And and um, you know, one night over pizza, seriously, it was it was very um, I was very unprepared for it. And I think that, um, it was very unintentional on my, um, now ex-husband's part, but some confessions were made and, and some revelations just hit me. Um, the light bulb really went on and, and I, um, was very close to the rock bottom, but I knew that I needed to escape my 27 year marriage. And, um, I was pretty quiet when I, when that light bulb moment happened, because it was a lot to take in. Uh, just there's, 
there's usually some doubt. There was a little bit of doubt, but I got over that fast. But I, I knew that there would be repercussions to my decision to leave this marriage. I lost everything. I mean, you know, so here I am an accomplished person, you know, I earned a very good salary. I was definitely guilty of just handing over my paychecks for all those years, you know, just sort of thinking that we each took on different roles in the marriage and, you know, he would take our, our finances and, and use it towards our family or be fiscally responsible. And, and that wasn't really the case. You know, the home that I thought was paid off for at least 10 years was in foreclosure, um, lost all my money, my assets, the real rock bottom, the real rock bottom is when I lost my two adult children to parental alienation. And that is something that I would never wish on any loving father or any loving mother. And research says it happens to both. It's, it's not a gender specific situation, but it's devastating. And, and I didn't even know what parental alienation was at the time. I just knew that, you know, my kids weren't returning my calls or texts. And they're adults, you know, when I chose to divorce their dad, they were 20 and 23. We had a loving, wonderful life together, you know, and when you're a loving parent, your, your children are your world in so many ways. And it was kind of like my world was just taken. I mean, I can lose material possessions. You know, I'm secure in myself enough to know that a lot of people experience loss that they don't plan for. And that can happen in many different ways. I could survive that, but I didn't know if I could really survive not having my children in my life. The days turned to weeks of not hearing from them and then and then the you know months and, and then years and now the years are too many to count. It's unbelievable. But I I will say that there are a lot of things that I did to work through this pain and this extreme loss. The the grieving process is is unbelievable. And and research has really helped me understand what I was dealing with. And then finding my own voice and, and, and really connecting with myself. And, and, you know, I had to go back into my own intergenerational family trauma to see what was I bringing to this table here? How could I, first of all, have stayed in a marriage for 27 years, knowing that there were things that were, were not right, that my values of honesty and, and love and fidelity and goodness they were not the same values. How could I be the kind of person that would just stay in something like this? I was kind of mad at myself. Can we hop back for a second? Because when you, you use the words and you said, when I finally escaped my marriage. And for me, that just was, that was big because yeah. we think about when we think about the feelings, like the visceral feelings of marriage, right? It's this warm, trusting, and mm -hmm. now you've paired it with escape, which is, mm -hmm. it, you would never imagine those two words together. No. So for our listeners, I, I would, I'm interested to hear in the early stages, like, I mean, you had children uh, with this partner. Was there a period of time where it really was the honeymoon? And what were the sort of subtle red flags that maybe you had noticed that you kind of pushed away at that time? You know, it's great to go back and kind of unpack that because um, it's very important. Actually, 
I knew that there were inconsistencies in our values before I even got married. But I was just so blinded by being love bombed. I actually came to the early stages of the relationship just coming off of a big heartbreak where I was supposed to be married before and a week before my fiance called off our wedding and ended up marrying a friend of mine. And so that along with my own kind of childhood experiences with, with my parents having a high conflict divorce and, you know, some, now that I look back at it, some very abusive situations, I was, I was kind of damaged going into this. I was really a target for someone who would want to capitalize on those experiences, knowing that they could love bomb someone and get them to just maybe overlook a lot of immoral, unethical things because they're so needy for love. I was so needy for love. But I really felt like I found my my prince charming, you know. I really I really did and and you know, not all of those 27 years were negative. I mean, there were positive. I think, you know, you're there's a lot of trauma bonding that goes on. There's like intermittent reinforcement. You know, there's good, but mixed with the the bad and the questioning and then there's good again and you know, so you're you're just kind of always um hoping that the future will will be better. So I was going along. In fact, if it wasn't for this one night over pizza, when my light bulb went on, I might have still been married and stayed in this, even though, even though I knew there were affairs, I knew there was a lot of money manipulation. It just seemed like money. He, he was always juggling money throughout the whole marriage. It was it was a bizarre. It was just bizarre. And and I but I went along with it saying, okay, you need me to go to the bank and and juggle this to this. And even if it was smaller amounts, I I thought, okay, I'll do this if this is what we need to do, you know. And why couldn't he do that himself? I mean, if he was in charge of all the money, you know, he he I think was testing me to see how much I would I would put up with. And so when my light bulb went on is when I was in fear. I was actually in fear for my life. And I wasn't quite sure how he would react to me knowing what I knew. Even though I didn't say anything, he knew that I knew at that moment. So really a lot of fear set in and it was a matter of, I knew I couldn't just you know, reasonably talk it out and say, you know, let's talk about this and let's work on this together. And I, I knew that wasn't going to be an option. And actually a day or two later, I was physically assaulted by him. And that was the first time I remember feeling physically threatened. And, and I have gone on to research domestic abuse and the patterns of what I experienced are very similar to patterns that other men and women in this situation experience, where the 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 uh, dangerous time is when you are thinking of leaving, 
or that you do leave. That is the most dangerous time in, in these kind of relationships. And I somehow in my gut, in my intuition, I knew that my life was in danger. And then, you know, like I said, a couple days later, I didn't say anything. I was actually pretty quiet and he um, physically assaulted me and, and, you know, slammed me up against the wall, finger in the face. And, and the comment that he made was also just to me, so very bizarre. Don't you dare divorce me. And if you divorce me, I'll take your house, your money and your children. And I'm thinking, what the heck? What what's going on here? Uh, first of all, I, I I didn't say a word to that too. I was terrified. I never even mentioned divorce. I didn't mention anything. But he knew that I knew, and I've since learned because it takes a lot of research to understand. Listening to other people's stories, reading the literature on on how these situations play out. You know, my situation is is textbook. It's, you know, I can say my situation and there are hundreds of other people that will say that's my exact situation of what happened to me. So I had to escape. It was escaping and I was terrified. And and actually, he ended up leaving the home right away. And, and as it turns out, he, he could care less about the home, the belongings, even the children. You know, it's almost like the family was the facade for him. The family was the kind of the front, you know, like, you know how these abusers wear a, a mask and, and the mask will slip and they act a certain way out in public, you know, and many of these people have very high ranking positions. They really are into their image and uh, what things look like and behind closed doors, you know, it's a different story. And, and, uh, you know, that's when my my fight or flight situation really ramped up and, and the abuse really ramped up. I didn't quite know I was even in an abusive situation while I was in it. And that's a very common thing to hear from people, that they don't quite know that they're being abused. But at the same time, you eventually learn that you've been gaslit you know, to question your abilities. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have, how successful you are in a job. Um, it doesn't matter how accomplished you are or put together. You know, this can happen to anyone. And and you can slowly lose your self-worth and, and your your confidence. And they they get you to question yourself, but they they get you to question reality. And and if you see them like, let's say you see them at a hotel with another woman having an affair, or it can be the other way around where, you know, the gender can be switched around. Or if you see receipts for airplane tickets or, or hotels or flowers, even though you know you never got flowers, they will tell you that you didn't see that. You, you didn't see that. You're mistaken. You know, they'll make up excuses or whatever. And so then you start questioning, well, maybe, maybe that, maybe, maybe I didn't see that right. You know? Right. And and that's, and that's, that's the whole part of the con is, is to keep you guessing or right. second guessing yourself and doubting yourself. And even as all of this was unfolding or, or, or in the immediate after, aftermath, 
you started to look inward and see uh, almost almost blame yourself for, yes. for allowing yourself to stay around for so long. And really, you didn't do anything wrong, but believe a man that you had fallen in love with and had married and, and thought had your best interest at heart uh, for many, many years until you learned otherwise. But, but what I'm curious about is as things were unfolding, as you started to connect the dots, did you did you let your kids in on what was happening and, and what you were discovering as a way for them to be fully abreast of the situation because you knew it was leading toward divorce? So did you did, did you allow them to to see what was happening or did you keep that close to the best and, and then just go you forward know, with what you knew you needed to do? I believed back then and I firmly believe now that kids need to have both parents in their life no matter what the dynamics are between the parents okay even though it's full-blown parental alienation right now and that is child abuse I still even now believe that kids need to have both parents in their lives and I think that the awareness is good to just uh, know what you're dealing with but they and they were adults but I don't think I really let them in on many of the details actually when my light bulb went on the one child the one adult child that I became alienated from immediately was right there and experienced that light bulb moment at the same time actually Part of the reason why it was such a turning point for me to understand that enough was enough was that it trickled over to really abusing the child. So it involved stealing large amounts of money, thousands and thousands of dollars of the child. You know, so the, the one of the confessions was that I had to go into your bank account and take all your money. And so the child experienced that. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, I mean, it was just, uh, we both were very, very shocked. And it's very shocking, although now I understand parental alienation, that that child would align with that person that, that did that against the child. So they actually experienced firsthand the same unintentional confession, I believe. So, I, you know, it's hard for me to really remember exactly what I said, but I know I said something, um, but I, I, I would never disparage their father right. um, because that's just not who I am. I'm not into saying bad things about people and, you know, I'm not into like, lying or manipulating or you know turning them against their dad I, I you know that it's just not it's never been who I am I do remember I must have had to say something because I know at one point that child asked me could you please take me to the bank so that I can look at my account and actually see what happened okay. and so yeah so we went to the bank and yeah, it was confirmed. Yeah, he, he, he had access to a bank. I never even had my name on her bank account. You know, so, nor would I ever want my name on a on my kids on my adult kids bank account. I want my kids to be independent. I want them to live their own lives and learn. You know, and 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 
Yeah, I, 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 I didn't need to be have my fingers in the pot of whatever they were doing. So, you know, I obviously some words had to be exchanged because we ended up going to the bank and and it was all confirmed that the money was taken. And then uh, the decision was made by the child to close that bank account. And then I did take that child with whatever money was left, not a lot, but to go to a completely different bank and open up a bank account. And I took took the child there, but I, I didn't sit down with the bank teller and open the account with her. I just, I was sitting in the lobby while letting this person, letting my young adult child open up their own bank account. And I said, please don't put anyone's name on this account. This is yours. This is, you know, you need to, with your hard-earned money and and not only was it some hard-earned money for years and years of working it was also you know the holiday gifts the birthday gifts throughout the years and eventually over time the father did write a letter to the child saying you know thank you for lending me the money which really i mean it was like twisting the narrative about it all when really no it wasn't asking can i borrow this money i have an emergency and really what emergency would he have he, he made double my salary i mean there was another life going on you know that he needed that money but eventually that child got that money back but definitely aligned with the person who took it so it was just you know, that's kind of how it played out. And so obviously there was some communication, but I'm sure at some point I, I well, he, he moved out right away. I mean, he moved, it was just a matter of after the physical assault, he moved out right away. And it was right around, actually the light bulb moment happened on Friday the 13th, you mm -hmm. know, December, 2013, because I remember that day specifically. And it was, of course, right before Christmas, right before the holidays. And even though he moved out, just left everything, he could care less. I, even after everything, I reached out to him and said, please join our family for Christmas. We are a family. Please come. And, and, and he did. And it was unbelievable because all the gifts that he brought for me, he brought me a few gifts, um, were all with a new credit card that he opened up maxed out and that I was responsible for. And that is just some of the financial deceit that was, that happened. And actually, even though I filed for divorce in 2013 and eventually the divorce was granted, my abuser, my ex-husband is still taking me to court to try to get my money, even though I believe he has like four jobs, very high paying, it's not about money. It's about control. It's about power. It's about punishing me. He's punishing me because I figured it out a little late, you know, 27 years later, but I figured it out and I escaped. I, I'm sure that the listeners are feeling similar to me. You know, I'm listening to, to all of this that's unfolded and transpired and it's, I feel emotionally just exhausted for you to be going through that. I'm wondering though, as that all started to happen, 
I'm sure it unfolded over years and years and years, right? As you, like you said, researched to understand better what had happened. But in that initial thing of, you know, bringing him back for Christmas and where your, where your mind was at at that time, the disbelief that what you thought was real and what actually was real and what was unfolding was there, there was such a disconnect. I would expect that it probably took quite a lot of time for that to sort of, for you to unfold into, holy shit, this has been my life, that this is not what I thought it was. And now this is the light has been shown on what it really was. What was that experience like for you emotionally, like as, as you put the pieces together in your own mind and started to, I don't know, have to manage your own finances, have to figure out all of these, take these new steps that you had sort of put your trust in another person to do. What was that process like for you? You coming up and out of that rock bottom? Well, I, I will tell you, I'm still traumatized with money. Even when I get, you know, I'm a retired school teacher and I get, I'm, I'm on a pension. I'm an author, but that's not a money-making deal. As, as most authors know, it's, uh, there's no money coming in with that. But I'm still, even on a monthly basis when I receive my pension, I'm, I'm panicked. Even though I have enough money to buy food and to pay my rent, I'm still traumatized to this day about money. And I've never been anyone that values money like that is the end all, the success or whatever. That's not what I'm about. But I, you know, getting back to your question, I naively thought, even after the physical assault and knowing what I know, I... At that time, around Christmas time, that was before I had a forensic accountant look into some things. That was before I had proof of so many other unethical wrongdoings. So so at that time, I naively thought, okay, we'll just go our separate ways. We'll be respectful of each other. We'll co-parent. So I was really... I don't know what you want to call that in denial, but I, you know, it, there was a disconnect between reality and how I kind of thought this would play out. I thought, gosh, we've been together 27 years. We should be able to work together. Our children are adults. It, it's not like we have to deal with custody or anything like that. But see, at that time, I also didn't know that our family's finances were in the state that they were. I didn't know that my house was in foreclosure. I didn't know about the double or triple life. I didn't know about all sorts of things. And so I was very naive and hopeful that we could just, you know, work together. And it took, it took, it took years, just like peeling an onion. You know, you hear that expression all the time, you know, just more and more came out and, and, you know, it really wasn't until, the divorce proceedings, um, which was just an absolute nightmare for me. I think a very exciting time for him because I've, I've learned that, that some of these abusers love the chaos of the legal system. They love to rope you in and they are calm, cool, and collected. And you're the one who's been traumatized and, and, and you go through so many lawyers just to try to get justice. You know, it seems like these people are very, very skilled 
at not only getting your support system to align with them with a smear campaign, you know, with false narratives, outright lies, believable half-truths, whatever it is, they're very good at getting police and lawyers and judges and, you know, all to kind of buy into their story because they're so very calm about it all. And, and obviously have been working on for years, uh, setting the groundwork so that when the marriage would eventually dissolve. And I think they probably knew at some point they would leave or I would die. You know, I, I think they do actually want your death. Unfortunately, we read about this in, in the news all the time where someone actually follows through and murders their spouse or the children or do it by proxy. I, I think so many of these people would love that to happen because then they could keep that false narrative going. You wouldn't have anyone else speaking the truth. And and so and so coming through the tumultuousness of the divorce proceedings and legalities and all of that in conjunction with being alienated from your children. And I know that that, that that still persists today, but at what point was there kind of, I guess there has to be an acceptance of, of some things before you can kind of turn that corner and, and start to reclaim your power, so to speak, um, and kind of point your life in a different direction, rechannel that energy into something that is going to be a benefit to you. At what point did that happen? And what did that look like? What was the, the catalyst, if you will, to that process? There were a few different things that happened that led me on the positive outcome of acceptance, but also of just choosing life, choosing to live with the same values I've always had of goodness, honesty, and love. I, you know, I never stopped those values, no matter what. I never, that's the foundation of who I am. And I continue to be that way, not only because it's just part of the fabric of my life, but it's also, I continue to want to role model this for my alienated adult children, because we all have adversity in our lives. We all have challenges. We all have like terrible moments or, you know, terrible sentences, terrible experiences, but we can choose how to respond to these. So of course, for a while, and what we were talking about before was me being in survival mode of just like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, and there's a lot more to that survival mode of just basically going from being homeless to being able to find some shelter to, to uh, eating, you know, and all, I mean, just basic needs that you have to take care of. And I still had a wonderful job. So I still had a couple more years as a teacher. So I had that passion to continue. And, and I'm very blessed that I had that and my health because a lot of people don't have those two things. But you ask about the catalyst, and, and one of them was that I had to have this garage sale after losing everything, and I had spiritual miracles that came my way. And I was shown God's love. And, you know, I'm a, someone who has an atheist background, slowly found organized religion as an adult, and then have really kind of switched over more to spirituality, not organized religion. Uh, but I felt with these experiences I had, and I, I did a lot of research on that too. They're called spiritually transformative encounters or experiences, STEs, very much like a near-death experience. 
That was my first turning point because I felt loved and supported. I had these miracles that just were, you know, it really opened up my eyes that we're here on a journey and, and that I would be okay, even though I, I made this very tough life decision and that there would be repercussions. I had no idea at that time that the repercussions would be as involved as they were. So that was the first. And, and the experiences were so amazing that I ended up writing a book. You know, my, my first book is my spiritual fiction, God Came to My Garage Sale. And it was endorsed by James Redfield, who wrote The Celestine Prophecy. And it, it's won a lot of awards. It's, it's um, in talks to be a movie right now. I mean, it's some really cool stuff. But I wrote many versions of that book. Even in that, I, I believe writing is so healing. You know, I did make it a spiritual fiction, even though it's inspired by all true events. But I, I don't say one negative thing in this book about the character's journey from losing everything, having a garage sale and having miracles. But my first version wasn't like that. My first version was like, let me let me get some of this stuff out. And and but that really helped. And after like 10 edits of like major revisions to the book, I was pleased to be able to put out something that was just filled with positivity, real life experiences. And, and I drew on my, my you know, all sorts of things. I mean, I, I really am so thrilled how that book came out and I'm thrilled that it's a huge book club book right now. And, and people are resonating with the, with the, the message of, you know, let's pay attention to signs and synchronicities and you can handle life's challenges with love and positivity and, and some miracles can come your way. So that was a big turning point because I really got all that stuff out of me and onto the page and I could tweak it and tweak it and tweak it in the comfort and privacy of my own little world where I wasn't saying anything negative about anyone else. Absolutely. And it's, it's such a beautiful thing that what started off as kind of a spiritual encounter, spiritual awakening, then evolved into this cathartic writing process. I mean, it was like you said, initially it was it was just, you know, you, you always hear about counselors and therapists encouraging their 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 clients and patients to journal. There's right. power in being able to get all of this stuff that is within us out of us be it onto paper or, you know, in front of another person, you know, through therapy, but it has to come out. It has to have yes. that yes. outlet. And so you channel that into writing. Yeah. I don't know if you had always aspired to be a writer, no. if you felt that you were a, a, a proficient writer, but it certainly was meant to come out of you because now yeah. you have this awesome book that people are resonating with and identifying parts of their story in your story. And, and and now it's 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 serving the public. It's doing a public service, really, right? Right, right. But you know that that was the first turning point. Then the the next big turning point was being open to love again. And I didn't seek that out at all. In fact, it's even to this day I've now learned to put up some healthy boundaries, and you know. I'm very cautious, you know, I'm very discerning about who I let in my life, who I keep in my life. But I uh, developed a very close friendship with um, a man that I met at a tennis class. 
And I was married at the time before, not interested in him at all. In fact, he had a girlfriend. And, you know, I wanted to set him up because he was such a nice guy. And actually, the, the one child that was there with me at the pizza party took this tennis class with me. So now he is my life partner. I got to know his girlfriend and we were just the three of us kind of hung out a whole lot and we were very supportive of each other. They lived really close to me. Um, she got very sick and passed away. And it was so painful for me as a friend, you know, to have this friend I really connected with have to go through an illness. And, and I was there for her and I was there for him and I was there for them and they were there for me. And, you know, the support was just natural. It was just so natural. And, and, and actually Rick and I would then after her passing, you know, I, I helped a whole lot with, you know, helping him kind of, you know, go through things and carry on. And, and um, we honor her all the time. In fact, today we even, we, we live in the Caribbean and we just experienced, you know, that Fiona, that big tropical storm hurricane. And she was a, Elizabeth is her name, and, and she was an artist and a beautiful watercolorist. And it turns out because of the storm, even though we've been here three years for the first time, we really had water coming into a couple areas. And, and some of her, her paintings were that we had, most of her paintings, the we have all around us, which is amazing to feel like we have her with us. And from someone from central Illinois, I mean, her artwork was all Caribbean, you know, themed. It was just amazing. It was almost like she was supposed to be here with us. But we spent a day today just going through all her artwork and drying out a lot of pieces that, you know, were hit by the storm. She is with us. She is with us here. But anyway, he knew all my players. I knew all of his players. We, you know, we traveled a lot together as friends, especially in the beginning, but then really found we, we really like being with each other, you know, and I really found, gosh, I could, someone could be honest, you know, I'm actually dealing with an honest, empathetic, very spiritual, wise, uh, intelligent, interesting person who actually likes me and appreciates me like you know I was so used to not being appreciated I mean for anything whether it was dinners or cleaning or whatever I would do I just it seems like I've kind of my whole life never expected anyone to appreciate me and then when it didn't happen, it was just, this is how life is. And so it's very cool to actually be in a, in a relationship with someone where there's a lot of mutual respect and understanding. So a big turning point was meeting Rick and then retiring from my wonderful career as a teacher. And then for us deciding where we wanted to move and we both decided the Caribbean would be a place for us. And so moving here, you know, moving thousands of miles away from my abuser was really nice because I did not have to have the day-to-day -day triggers of this is the neighborhood, this is the park that I played with my kids at, you know, this is their school, you know, this is, you know, our favorite restaurant or whatever. I didn't have these kind of 
triggers that can be very hard for people if they don't, you know, move out of the area. So that was like the second big change. And then the third big change, the, you know, and I'm sure it's a journey. It's all going to keep on evolving. But I ended up writing a five book series called True Deceit, False Love. And that was, um, I would say, the biggest turning point. So it really came in stages. The garage sale writing, God came to my garage sale, finding love again, moving to the Caribbean, and then continuing my journey of writing to heal with my five book series, True Deceit, False Love. I love all of that so much, partly because there's the Martin is a loves the journaling thing and so do I, but the unfolding and even if it was, you know, fictional, but based on your experiences um, to, to put that out into the world was like the first opening and then opening yourself to this man and this experience in whatever direction it was going to go. And then for you to literally whisk yourself away to, to start something completely new and then endeavor, you know, more writing. I, I think it's, it's these pieces. It's when we can celebrate the, you know, rising of the Phoenix, right. Yes. That, that yes. we all hit these, these rock bottoms, like they, that's why they're so universal. And that if we heed the lessons that are in the teachings that are there for us, that we then open ourselves into maybe who we really are, like, and who we yeah. really were to begin with. And I, I, I love that yours is such a beautiful trajectory to this, to this space. Yeah. In hindsight, or in retrospect, if you were speaking to a man or woman who might find themselves in a relationship similar to yours with the narcissistic tendencies and hints of abuse or red, red flags anyways, what would you sit down and say to them at that, in that space of where you were, when you were first sort of, you know, pushing away, what was, what, what reality was bringing to you? I would say, you know, get in tune with yourself and follow your gut intuition. People can call gut intuition all sorts of things. Some believe that it's God talking to you, your higher self, you know, your angels. You know, some people believe it's just your inner knowing. You know, whatever you call it, follow that. Because if something doesn't feel right and you're in a cognitive dissident state, something is not right. So that would be the first thing I would say is follow your gut intuition. And then I would say with that, do some reflecting on yourself and, and you'll come back to that again at various stages later on where you need to do the deep dive into who you are. What is your authentic self? Because so many of us that have endured these experiences that come to kind of a shocking halt we have slowly lost ourselves and connecting with who we are, even just as simple as what we like, um, some of our passions. We kind of squelched that so that we put other people first and we don't put ourselves first. So I think you need to kind of get back in touch with yourself. And there's many different ways to do that with meditation, with walking in nature, with waking up in gratitude, looking at affirmations, you know, there are some actual tangible tools you can use to get back to your authentic self. 
but that's good to do in the beginning, but you're going to find you're going to need to redo that again as time goes on, because that part is a journey in itself too. I'm someone personally that found I needed to research. I needed to, I need to, I didn't know what domestic violence was. I didn't know. I knew I didn't have my children in my life, but I didn't quite understand. Never heard of the term parental alienation before, let alone to know that it affects millions of wonderful dads and wonderful moms and, and, Families are damaged. This this is worldwide. I, I through these podcasts because there's so much interest recently in having me come on and just talk and have these candid conversations because obviously it resonates with some people and it's healing. You know, at some point I'm going to slow down with that and get back to my writing because in some ways it is it is triggering. It's still a calling to be able to have these conversations, but it's exhausting. It's painful. It's um, even though I'm, I'm put together and I, I've found some very good creative outlets. I'm still a mom without her kids, you know, and I'm still someone who wanted to be married forever. And, and that, that didn't happen. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that my light bulb went on, at some point in my life, because I'm living a more authentic life, you know, even though my circle has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller, it's true. It's, and, and I'm, I'm true to myself. So I would say to anyone that's going through these things, follow your gut intuition, get back to, to knowing who you are and, and do the, the research to learn about what you've gone through, because that will help you connect the dots to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And it will, it will also make you feel less alone because so many of us, especially if we've been through so much gaslighting and smearing and, you know, all the different things when we're kind of on our own to navigate this, we're on our own to navigate this, you know, we don't have that support. It's, and so and it really does come down to you. It's like, you know, you can't control what other people do or what situations come your way. You can't control a lot of things, but you can control your how you choose to respond. And I choose to respond with honesty, integrity, goodness, love, resources, and writing and speaking so that Others could, if they're going through this kind of thing, maybe save them a little bit of the heartache that I went through if they are in a place where, you know, the message comes at a good time for them. So many of us, though, we follow just our immediate reaction and we, we don't always plan our escape. That was beautifully said. I have no doubt that your story will resonate with many who find themselves in these situations where maybe they were questioning, well, is this abusive? You know, should I be okay with this? This is definitely going to resonate and, and hopefully cause a lot of people to have that light bulb moment. So thank you profusely for your candor and your authenticity in this very difficult discussion, frankly. But there's no question that it is purposeful and it will land well with a lot of people and hopefully 
um, help them to make you know healthier choices in their own lives. Rock the Bottom Podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, or share.